to Matthew chapter 21. Maybe I'll do this next week or maybe uh, the week after. But anyway, I will drink some ink, uh, I think. All right, well, anyway, Matthew chapter 21. This should be sounding somewhat familiar to you because it has to do with Palm Sunday. It has to do with Jesus riding in on the donkey and so on and what he did when he got into Jerusalem on the donkey. Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13. Please please stand together with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're talking about Jesus cleaning the temple, cleansing the temple. Uh, all, the, all the Gospels uh, talk about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all address this, cleaning the temple. Now, speaking of cleaning, uh, I think anybody can clean, but it's sort of like moms. Sort of moms are really good cleaners. But here's some rules I read this week. These are mom's rules. Not necessarily my mom, but every mom. Mom's rules. Number one, if you drop it, retrieve it. If you empty it, fill it. If you open it, Close it. If you take it off, hang it up. If you spill it, clean it. If you sleep in it, make it. If you dirty it, wash it. And then what do all moms say? I'm not your maid. That's right. I'm not your maid. I also read this week that motherhood is like a fairy tale in reverse. You start out in a beautiful gown and end up cleaning everybody's messes. So let's look at Jesus came this morning from Matthew chapter 21. First of all, I want you to see from verse 5, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. Again, we now call this Palm Sunday. Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, riding that donkey and so on, he fulfilled prophecy. The prophecy is in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey. Now, Zechariah had prophesied 500 years before this ever happened concerning Messiah. In fact, if you look at verses 4 and 5 that I didn't read in our text this morning, verse 4 says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of the prophet saying, and then he goes on to quote Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Now, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, he is making an open claim to be Israel's Messiah and an open claim to be Israel's king. And something else. This was no ordinary donkey that Jesus was riding. In fact, when we read in Mark's gospel account about this donkey, it says that nobody ever sat on that donkey before. Nobody had ever sat on the donkey before. And this, in that day, would be a mark of an animal that was devoted to sacred use. Okay? But the miracle here is that it could be ridden at all. I don't know if you know much about donkeys. In fact, in the old days, they called them a different name that that I'm not using this morning. But anyway, donkeys do what they want to do, when they want to do, if they want to do it. And yet Jesus sat on this donkey. He rode into Jerusalem pretty as you please. No worries, no problem. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding that donkey, he received the royal treatment. There was a large crowd, verse 8 says, not just the 12 disciples. There was a large crowd. And the people were taking off their clothing, their outer clothing. They were breaking down branches and putting them in the way. People sacrificed their clothing. Now, literally, these people gave the clothes off their backs to honor Jesus because their garments would either be ruined in this whole exercise or they wouldn't be returned. And back in that day, sometimes the only thing people owned was clothing. And yet these people were removing their clothing to honor Jesus with it. 
But not only were the people sacrificing their clothing, they were making a roadway of leaves. Why would they do that? Why would they put these leaves down? Jesus riding in on a donkey. Why would they put the leaves down? Well, I remind you every Palm Sunday of this. This kept Jesus, who is king, from touching common ground. Even the animal he was riding, it would not be touching common ground. You say, well, that sounds really strange. Not so much. You ever been to a wedding? Always at a wedding, the bride is queen for the day. And what is what goes before it comes down the aisle before the bride does? Well, that's the flower girl. And the flower girl takes petals, uh, petals of roses and sprinkles them on the way or some other th- sort of leaves. Why? Because the bride is queen and she should not have to walk on the same common ground that the rest of us do that day. Okay? And so they were doing the same thing back then. They were putting leaves, they were putting branches, they were putting their clothes so that Jesus, who is king, he nor his animal would have to touch common ground. The people not only sacrificed their clothes and put branches down, but they were shouting and they were praising. They were saying, blessed is he. In other words, this is the one. This is the guy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they said the name of the Lord, they were saying, this is God's representative. This is Messiah. They were calling him son of David. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. Again, they were saying, this is Messiah. They were shouting Hosanna, which means save now. Please save us. And they even called him king. In John's account, John 12, 13, it says they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Now know this, back in that day, kings in peacetime, they rode donkeys, not horses. So Jesus wasn't coming to do war. He was coming in peace. But Jesus was later accused of being a king. Part of his trial was they said, well, I think this guy thinks he's a king. We read about this in Luke 23, beginning in verse 2. It says that they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, let me translate it for you. You said it. Thou sayest it. What that really means in our today's parlance is you said it. Are you king? You said it. You better believe I'm king, he would say. So Jesus showed up. And I want you to know, if Jesus hadn't shown up in the way he did on the donkey and so on, he couldn't be Messiah. Because Zechariah had prophesied 500 years before, when Messiah comes, he's going to come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And so he showed up. But I want to ask you a personal question this morning, is that is, has Jesus shown up in your heart? Yes, he showed up in Jerusalem riding a donkey, but has he showed up in your heart? You see, our hearts are to be his home. Our bodies are to be his temple. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. One of my favorite verses says, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and you're not your own? And so our hearts are to be his home. Our bodies are to be his temple. Has Jesus shown up in your heart? I'm asking you. You say, well, I would like to have Jesus in my heart. How does he get there? How do I get Jesus in my heart? You receive Jesus as your Savior. You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That Jesus was buried for your sins. And the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. And when you truly believe and truly receive him, he will come into your heart. He will not only become your Savior, he will become your Messiah. He will become your King. And so Jesus showed up. But secondly, I want you to see that Jesus cleaned up. He cleaned up. Jesus enters the temple. He sees lots of activity going on, all kind of stuff happening. He doesn't see any worship. He just sees busyness. Oh, it's busy, busy, busy. 
Now, Jesus was certainly in the first outer court of the Gentiles. You see, the, the temple had several courts. So the outside court was the court of the Gentiles. Then the third court coming in was the, or the second court was the Jewish women, court of the Jewish women. Then the third court was the court of Israel. That was Jewish men. Then the fourth court was for the priests. So Jesus was certainly in the outer court for the Gentiles uh, when this happens. And what does he see? What is happening? I told you there's lots of activity, but there was no worship. What does he see? He sees money changers. Well, only certain half-shekel coins were accepted by the temple, so somebody needed to convert the currency from wherever these people were coming to the current half-shekel. And there were also sacrificial animals for sale. And so that's what he saw, the money changers doing business, the sacrificial animal people doing business. He saw lots of activity, but no worship. My friends, God's house is to be a solemn place. Oh, we can fellowship in here. We can laugh in here, but we must remember whose house it is and what this house is for. It should be a solemn place. Well, Jesus, he sees all this activity, doesn't see any worship. So what does he do? He throws everybody out. Verse 12 says he threw out the corrupt businessmen and their customers. Now, Jesus was not opposed to what they were doing, doing a money exchange and selling sacrificial animals. He was not opposed to what they were doing. He was opposed to how they were doing it. I mean, after all, they were providing a convenience for traveling worshipers. People were coming from all over the known world at the time, and they, they wouldn't have a half shekel, and they might not have a sacrificial animal. And so there was a service being provided for these traveling worshipers. Again, the temple needed uniform uh, currency, and the people needed sacrifices. The problem is the worshipers were being taken advantage of. You ever heard of highway robbery? Well, this was temple robbery. The worshipers were coming there. They needed the half shekel. Uh, they needed the sacrificial animals, but they were being taken advantage of. Because to get that half shekel, they were charging an exorbitant exchange rate. They were overcharging for the convenience of having a sacrificial animal. And here's, here's the dirty little secret. The priests often colluded with the animal vendors to find the worshippers' animals that they did bring unacceptable, forcing a purchase. And so anyway, when somebody would bring an animal with them that they deemed was, was good for God, then the priest would look over at the vendor, kind of wink his eye and says, uh, you know what, that, this one's not good enough. This one's not going to do. But I'll tell you what, I got a friend right over here. If you just follow me, let me introduce you to him and uh, he'll sell you. He'll sell you an animal. Sorry, we can't accept this one, but he'll take yours. This was going on. That's what Jesus had a problem with. Not that they were doing the money exchange. Not that they were selling sacrificial animals. They were cheating people. That's what he didn't like. Worldliness had infiltrated God's sanctuary. God's sanctuary was to be a refuge from the outside, a refuge from the world. But the world had come right inside the temple. There was no attitude of reverence for God's house. Now let me pause and ask you, should, should churches sell things? You know, a lot of times churches have dinners and churches have flea markets and all kinds of stuff. Should the church sell things? Well, remember, Jesus' concern here was with worship and dishonesty. That was his problem. Not that something was being sold. As long as the church does what it's called to do and transacts business honestly, it's okay for the church to sell stuff. But let me say this. God's people should support the work of God's church. God's people should support the work of God's church. It's okay to raise money from within the body of Christ. We don't need to go to the public with our hands out. 
We don't need what the world has. The world needs what we have. And so we are to support the work of God's church. And if we do that by selling stuff to the body of Christ, that's fine. But we don't need to reach out to the pagans out there and say, hey, help us with our budget. That's not their responsibility. That's yours and that's mine. But what does Jesus do? He clears the temple. He clears the temple. You just saw the picture that I showed you a few minutes ago. That's not an actual photograph, but you saw the picture. And he clears the temple, fulfilling yet another prophecy from Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. There it is. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. The Messiah will come to his temple and clean it up. Had Jesus not cleaned up, he could not have been the Messiah. If Jesus had not shown up the way he did on the donkey and so on, he couldn't have been the Messiah. Once Jesus got there, if he hadn't cleaned up, he couldn't have been the Messiah. Because the prophet said he's going to come to Jerusalem on a donkey. The prophet said he's going to come and clean up. If he hadn't done these things, he could not be the Messiah. But he came and he is. But Jesus wasn't done cleaning. Verse 14 says he healed diseases. So he didn't just knock over the tables and money changers and all that. Then he started healing disease. Look in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The blind and the lame were clean. They're cleansed of their ailments. Disease is a direct evidence of the effect and power of sin. Jesus here showed his power over both. Showed his power over sin. Showed his power over disease. Let me ask you another question. I asked you, first of all, has Jesus Jesus shown up in your heart? Let me ask you another personal question. Has Jesus cleaned you up? Has Jesus cleaned you up? When Jesus enters, he begins cleaning from the inside out. Notice when Jesus cleaned the temple, he didn't start out in the streets. He didn't start out there and start cleaning up and knocking over tables and stuff. He goes inside the temple and he starts cleaning up from the inside out. Remember what are our bodies? His temple... He cleans us up from the inside out. My friends, let him clean you up. I've heard so many people tell me, well, you know, I do want to ask Jesus in my heart, but the problem is I got some stuff in my life that isn't right, so I need to work things out first. I need to get things right. Then I'll ask Jesus into my heart. Don't do that. You invite Jesus into your heart as you are right now. Let him clean you up. Whether it's your attitudes that are out of whack or your destructive habits, whatever they might be, ask Jesus to come in your heart. He will clean you up from the inside out. And so Jesus showed up. Jesus cleaned up. And then thirdly, I want you to see Jesus spoke up. Jesus spoke up as he cleaned up. He accused the people of changing the temple from a place of prayer to a place of profit. God's house was to be a place of prayer. But no one could pray because of this flea market attitude. Now, I like a flea market as much as anybody else, but I wouldn't go to a flea market to try to get close to God. I wouldn't go to a flea market to try to get alone with God and to pray. And that's what it looked like in there. That's what it sounded like. And so Jesus then, as he's cleaning up, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. Here it is. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And then he quotes Jeremiah 7 and verse 11. He says, If this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes, behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. So Jesus takes this prophecy out of Isaiah, this prophecy out of Jeremiah. He puts them together. He said, You've turned my house, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, you've turned it into a den of thieves. Puts the two together. Jesus spoke up as he cleaned up. And Jesus spoke up as he was criticized by the chief priests and scribes. Here's what happened. Look in verse 15. The children began singing Jesus' praises. It says, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were very displeased. Well, why would they be upset? People are singing Jesus' praises. Well, the leaders understood how impressionable children are. When children are young, that's why we emphasize vacation Bible school. When children are young and we can give them the truth that they can maintain their entire life. The leaders understood how impressionable children are. and They didn't like those children singing Jesus' praises. The leaders didn't agree with the multitude's assessment of Jesus, who he is. He's king. He's Messiah. They didn't agree with that. And the leaders, to be quite honest, feared their own loss of power and position. These Religious leaders were at the top of the food chain. Jesus comes in and all of a sudden people start praising him and worshiping him and saying he's the king, he's the Messiah. What do you think is going to happen to these people up here? They're going to lose out. They didn't want that to happen. So what does Jesus do? He quotes Psalm chapter 8 and verse 2. This is given to us in verse 16. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. Because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now understand this about Jesus. Jesus is God. So every word he spoke was the word of God. So if Jesus said, like I'm going to say, it's hot in here, okay? If he said it, it's the word of God. If Jesus said, uh, you know, he sneezed and said, excuse me, he, that's the word of God. Jesus is God, so everything he said was the word of God. But notice here, Jesus quoted Scripture to defend every action of His. Everything He did, He rides in on the donkey. There's Scripture to back that up. He cleans the temple. There's Scripture to back that up. People are complaining. The children are singing His praises. There's Scripture to back that up. Jesus quoted Scripture to defend His every action. That is why Scripture is to be our ultimate authority. Scripture is to be our ultimate guide. Scripture is to be our ultimate defense. What's so special about Scripture? It is truth without any mixture of error. You might read something. You might read a news article. or might read a book or something. Say, wow, that, that really rings true to me. Well, it might ring true to you. It might not ring true to somebody else. This is truth right here. The Word of God. It is truth without any mixture of error. And what makes it so special? It is inspired. What makes it so special? It is inerrant. What makes it so special? It is infallible. That word means it's of, of unfailing certainty. This is a special book. It is the very Word of God. If you want to know what the truth is, read the truth. Again, it's inspired by God. And because of that, it is inerrant. And it is infallible. It is truth without any mixture of error. So Jesus, not only did He show up, not only did he clean up, he spoke up. Let me ask you another personal question. Are you speaking up? Are you speaking up? Are you sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with others? 
I didn't ask you if you'd get them in a headlock and, you know, uh, threaten to hit them or something. But as it comes up in conversation, do you share that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? That Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He was buried for your sins. He rose again the third day. And that they can receive the same Jesus. They can have their sins forgiven. They can live forever. Do you share that? Are you speaking up? And as you speak up, are you backed up with Scripture? Now, Jesus is God. He didn't have to back up anything, but He did. When Jesus spoke, He backed up what He said with Scripture. What about you? As you speak up, are you backed up with Scripture? Let me make it a little more pointed. Are you read up so you can speak up and be backed up? Are you read up in Scripture so you can speak up and be backed up? Because God doesn't take Scripture and just implant it in your brain. You've got to put it there. You say, well, I come to church, I come to Sunday school. That's a good start. There's nothing like reading it yourself. That's how you get Scripture really in to your spirit. Read it yourself. Please keep coming to church. Please keep coming to Sunday school. Please. But that's not enough. You need to read it yourself. So that you are read up. So you can speak up. So you can be backed up. Backed up by what? Scripture. Scripture is the only truth we know. And so, adding a little flavor, a little, uh, a little, uh, what I can't think of the words, it was a flavor to the Palm Sunday story. We see that Jesus showed up. Had he not shown up the way he did on the donkey and so on, he couldn't have been Messiah. But he did because he is. And then Jesus cleaned up. He cleaned up. Had he not cleaned up, knocking over the tables and all that, had he not cleaned up, he could have been the Messiah. But he did, and he is. And then finally, Jesus spoke up. As he cleaned up, he spoke up as he was criticized. And he was backed up by the truth of Scripture. So I ask you again, Jesus showed up back then. Has he shown up in your heart? Have you invited him into your heart to be your Savior? Do you believe that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you? You can receive him. You can invite him into your heart right now, right here, today. Secondly, Jesus cleaned up. Has he cleaned you up? If he's really in your heart, he'll clean you up from the inside out. Don't try to get everything ready for him. Invite him in how you are right now. He'll clean you up. And last, Jesus spoke up. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you speaking up? Are you sharing your faith with others? And as you do, are you backed up with Scripture? I'm talking about your opinion. Well, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I heard my pastor say. This is what I heard my Sunday school teacher. No, 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 no. Be backed up with Scripture. This is the truth. Now, I'm not saying your Sunday school doesn't tell you the teacher doesn't tell you the truth. I'm not telling your pastor doesn't tell you the truth. But I'm saying this is absolute truth right here. Make sure you're read up so you can speak up and be backed up with Scripture. So the invitation this morning, quite simple. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He's never come in, if He's never shown up in your heart, receive Him as your Savior. And if you have received Christ as your Savior, speak up. That's your challenge. But make sure you're backed up when you speak up. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for this time to be together in your house. And now we thank you for this time of invitation. 
I don't know what you're doing in the hearts and lives of these people or folks that are watching on the Internet. But, Lord, do what you do. If that's to save the lost, save them. If it's to encourage, if it's to encourage the saved to share our faith, then encourage us. Lord, have your will and your way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.